0: Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good
1: morning and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my bulldog, Rodney, is beside me as usual. Today, I have a special treat for you, though, as we discuss living the dream through the world of real estate investment. Most of you guys know that I'm a real estate lawyer, but today, my guest is actually in the field of real estate development and making those deals happen, and I'm very excited to learn more about this type of real estate. Today, I'm welcoming Barbara Ray from Ray Advisory Group in Newport Beach, California to give her insights on these topics after over 20 years of experience as a level executive, easy for me to say (laughs) C-suite, but 20 years as a C-suite level business executive. And during her career, Barbara has served as a chief operating officer for a private real estate equity firm, raising more than $750 million in institutional equity and leading that company to be one of the fastest growing businesses in the country. And now through her company, Ray Advisory Group, she advises growing businesses on how to properly maximize profitability and their brand value. You can learn more about Barbara online at www.rayadvisorygroup.com, and that's R-E-A com. So please welcome Barbara Ray to Living the Dream. Barbara,
0: thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here, uh, both with you and Rodney. So thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So um, I was really excited when you reached out. Barbara and I connected through LinkedIn. Uh, she listened to some of my shows and and reached out when she saw that we had a connection in real estate. So I thought that was pretty cool. And Barbara is, um, is in the business of real estate financing and development and setting up basically funds to acquire a bunch of real estate, whereas I'm in the in the lawyer side where I'm structuring the deals and acquiring and doing the paperwork. So we're kind of combining the two sides of the deal to, to see how things work. So I thought that'd be pretty cool. So Barbara, uh, tell the audience a little bit about your story and your consulting.
0: Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Um, And there's just so many facets to real estate, really, that are Mm -hmm. so interesting. I've been in real estate for 20 years. I've worked in a lot of different asset classes. I've worked for the developer side. I worked for most recently an investment manager. Um, I ran a brokerage um, operations for a brokerage company. Um, So I've got a lot of different, I I worked for a residential uh, Mm -hmm. builder, home builder. So it's, there's so many different asset classes, whether it's retail, um, industrial, office, residential apartments. There's just so many different asset classes, and there's so much you can do within within those. So, most recently, um, prior to my consulting gig, I. Uh, I was running as a chief operating officer, I was uh, running an investment management platform and helping raise institutional capital. And so um, the thing that I think is interesting that, about it is it, it's not accessible really, I think, to everyone, but to to make it more like HDTV friendly uh, mm-hmm. for your audience to just kind of make it more accessible and understandable. It's really just raising money so that you can go buy what we did was we bought it, Industrial real estate, which doesn't sound very sexy, um, but it's really highly in demand. Um, so it would be buying a lot of real estate that needs some help. You need to lease it out, it needs to be fixed up like an HDTV home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you manage that property until you sell it. And in order to do that at scale, you need a lot of capital, right? To go buy this much mm-hmm. real estate. So what we would do is go and raise institutional capital, um, meaning, you know, insurance companies, foundations, endowments, um, there's just so many groups that had pension funds and things like that that they actually need to put to work, and they have an allocation reserve for so many different real estate asset classes, as well as you know natural gas and oil and all of these different investment vehicles. And so, real estate's just one asset class that they look at. So we were able to go to these institutions and. Tell them our business plan. We wanted to go buy industrial real estate, basically fix it up, manage manage it, provide cash flow for them as an investor, and then ultimately, you know, sell off the assets and and see some appreciation there as well. And so, just it, it's as simple as buying a home and flipping it. Right? Um, mm-hmm. We held it for a little longer than a t- traditional like home flip, um, but we need we did it at scale. So in order to do it at scale we needed to go get big batches of capital. And that's, that's really what we did. And it was a, it was a really fun ride. And so what I'm doing now is I'm doing almost the same thing um, from an advisory standpoint. So there's a lot of companies that do something similar, but they do it with their friends and family, but they want to go you know, access larger buckets of capital. They wanna actually scale a little bit. And I'm coming in and helping them take a look at the platform that they currently have. And is there an opportunity for them to do this in a bigger way? Um, And what would they need to do be able to do that is there some things that they're going to need out need to build out in the back of the house are there additional people that they're going to need and they get to make the decision at the end of the day does this sound interesting or should i just keep doing it the way i'm doing it Um, which some people might want to just say wow that's a lot of work it's going to cost a lot of money to build some of that out and i don't i don't want to do that which is totally fine it's a good exercise to figure that out Um, institutional capital has a lot more requirements than your traditional you Know friends and family, um, golf, you know, golf course buddy money, you know, it's yeah. it's different, so um, yeah,
1: well, so let's kind of talk about, I guess, um, you know, because that might have been a whole lot for some people who <laughs> might kind of like the HGTV level. Let's say, um, you know, you got your your buddy and he's like, you know what, I want to have a good investment here, and I'm not exactly chimp enjoying the gains because I, d- I can't do all the construction and stuff. But I guess a lot of people they'll want to buy a house or condos and rent it out and try to make some money. But I think to your point, um, first off, you got to think, how are you going to finance that? How are you going to, are you going to do it through your money or are you going to have a business partner? Like you said, investors talk about like how you advise businesses to go through that process and how it's different when you're dealing with, you know, the golf course buddy or the friend or the bank, as opposed to the big pension funds, like a, a Prudential or somebody like that.
0: You know, I'm going to actually take it even a step different, like just as Mm. uh, just as an individual. So if you're an individual and you wanted to go buy real estate, right, you've got to go get financing. Maybe you qualify. Maybe you don't. You're going to have to personally be doing or third party out doing the improvements. It's a lot of work. We're Mm. not all Chip and Joanna Gaines. Right. Mm. Um, And so it's just a big undertaking. I think what's interesting about kind of the business and the world I work in is it's very it's fund-based, meaning that you as an investor, um, you don't have to go buy the house yourself or the industrial real estate or the retail center. Some of these really like, you know, it seems kind of hard hard to get into, right? Because it's just Mm. so much money if it's you personally. Yeah. But Investing in a fund gives you access to that, which is really interesting because without having to put all your money in one place, you can make a smaller investment into a fund, which gives you access to multiple assets, multiple geographies, and mm-hmm. I, I think that is a really interesting play for just you know your average investor. And I think a lot of people don't don't know about that. I, I can tell you that you know I've worked with a wealth manager for years for my my personal finances. And he never introduces, um, you know, funds as an option other than mutual funds or, you know, it's mm. more stocks, mutual funds, just kind of things that feel a little bit more, you know, uh, accessible. And I think one of the things that as you're looking to make investments, challenge your, your financial advisor, your financial planner or wealth manager To find out what funds can you be investing in? Because that's a way to access without actually having to own the entire piece of real estate. It's a great way to say, like, I'm an investor in multifamily or this, you know, apartment complex down the street or a retail shopping center. It's, you know, without actually having to solely go out and figure out how to own it, how to manage it and do all the brain damage, you actually get access to that through a fund. And I would say for individual investors, that's probably a really interesting play is to start looking into what are the opportunities. And a lot of, a lot of funds have, you know, minimum investment criteria. um, But it's usually, if you're looking to say go buy a home call it a $150,000 home and you you've got to finance i don't know a third of that plus whatever it's going to take to fix it up you're you're talking mm-hmm. 50 to what 80 grand between mm-hmm. you know your down payment and what you're going to do to fix that house up there are a ton of different funds that you could participate in mm-hmm. that would for that money or much less even would give you access to the same things without being the person doing all the work. Yeah. And that, that would
1: probably be good for somebody, which I actually have a a fund that is part of my portfolio that I, I'm in. But for somebody like me, since I'm not, you know, a contractor and I would have to spend all this money to get someone to go do it. And you know, you're, I'm in Florida and it could be in Kentucky or wherever. I mean, that would be a huge hassle and a huge risk. Yeah. So, well, let me ask then. So, um, if somebody wanted to go a route where they're wanting to bring in the investors and stuff like that, kind of explain how that works and how like, you know, you guarantee the return for the investor. And if you're an investor, what you're kind of looking for.
0: Yeah. Well, there's no guarantee on returns. I'll start there. Yeah. I mean, you have to, I mean, as an investor, especially in these type of vehicles, you go in, you know, you've got to be an accredited investor um, and you go in knowing that you could, this could be, you know, a, a money loser for you. So you could mm. you could not make anything. I mean, that's obviously not anyone's game plan. Most fund managers have a pretty specific requirement where they actually have to pony up a percentage of the investment, so the interests are really aligned. So, let's say you're raising a hundred million dollars. You, as the manager, need to pony up. I don't know, somewhere between two and ten million, and that's a lot of money, Thanks. right? And that that gets your interest aligned, so that if you're you're the actual fund manager, you're you're banking on the returns too. This is what your this is your income strategy. Your you got core skin focus. in the game. Yeah, a lot of skin in the game, actually. Right. Um, so I think you know one, there is no guarantee on returns. And I, but I think you need to look at if you want to be an investor. One, you got to look at what asset classes am I comfortable investing in. Um, are there geographies? I'm comfortable? Like you live in Florida. You know Florida well. There's probably plate markets in Florida that you would be like, I would never invest there. That's a crazy place, right? And then there's others where you're like, I bet that market's on fire. So I think you know as you're looking at like a fund manager, what? Where are they buying assets? What's their target markets? Make sure you like those markets. If you have any knowledge of those, I think that's that's pretty important. Um, and then the asset classes, and you, not that you have to know a lot about them, but I think it's important that you, know, you have some type of feel, like, do you wanna be in office properties right now? Like, I don't know, it seems like, I mean, people still have to work somewhere always, but I will say COVID probably changed that landscape a little bit, right? What property so. type do you, you know, are you really comfortable with? I mean, housing is so great. Everyone has to live somewhere, right? So, that always Mm -hmm. seems like a a great investment play. Um, So, what asset class, what geography, and then what return and risk level do you have? So, there's a lot of different, you know, ways that you can measure your your risk level, and, and that goes with the return profile. So, if you're um, focused on something that's kind of like a core or core plus return, really kind of anything sub eight. You're it's kind of operating more like a bond level return. You're mm-hmm. a conservative investor. You're getting nicer properties that probably don't need a lot of work. Um, you could be a value add investor where the return uh, potential return. Could be a little bit higher, right? But the asset needs some love. Someone's taking a risk on it, right? They've Mm -hmm. got to do some work, um, give the asset some love, and that's that takes a little bit of a gamble. But within that, there's there's rewards, and then there's fully your you know opportunistic and development type returns where there is a longer term play, and it's you know it's kind of on it's based on do I trust that person to be able to make those moves for those bigger level returns. So I think, you know, when you're on the investor side, there's a lot of things that you should be looking at, you know, the asset class. And I'm just speaking of real estate, frankly, this, this is true for uh, any other type of investment, but you know, what's the asset class, what's the geography and really what is the, the the return profile that you're really looking for in this. And that's a target, right? Mm -hmm. And then the actual manager themselves, who is performing the work and what work are they performing? Do you trust them? Um, Do they know what they they're doing? Are they best in class in this space? And so Mm -hmm. a lot of the managers, I mean, there's huge managers like, you know, um, Blackstone. and, And so you're that seems safe, but there's also niche managers that just focus on a specific asset class or a specific Mm -hmm. geography, and they do it really well. Um, So if you're going to go kind of really focus and be in a niche investment, are you working with someone that you have a lot of confidence in them, their team, and um, their ability to execute? I think that's really, really important.
1: Yeah. And you know, with all that information, that's a lot of information for people to analyze and think about. (laughs) And me as a lawyer, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I need to surround myself with a good team, which comes to Ray Advisors. So um, talk about, um, you know, if someone's looking to do that investment and they come to you or the fund, what what, uh, benefits and recommendations do you give as your advisory company?
0: you know so i'm really working with the managers themselves and not the people looking for an investment so mm-hmm. i'm working with the fund manager so I'm, my my perspective is probably a little skewed right most of the managers i work with i see i see you know, what's really working there. And I see what's not. And I see the managers that are really serious about growth and return and alignment for investors. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so I go in what I what I typically do. So it is a little different, right? What I do is I go in and I I meet with these managers and I find out what are your goals for the company? What are your goals for the funds Um, or just investments? They might not even have a fund. Um, And then we start talking about, okay, how do you get to your your goal? And a lot of their goals are either create a fund or raise more capital. And basically I help them put a roadmap together. Like this is going to take you 12 months just to get ready to raise your fund. Then it's going to be another 12 months to raise this fund. Um, And where do you look for potential investors for these type of vehicles? So, um, you know, I'm not working with the individual investors. I'm helping, you know, figure out who the target institutional investor is. So I think that's a little bit, um, it's a little bit different. I'm not advising, you know, if Ben Wilson came to me and wanted to Mm. say like, Hey, where should I, where should I place my money? I, you know, just went to Vegas. I'm feeling great. Um, I am not your financial advisor on that. I'm advising the companies that are actually, um, crafting these investment vehicles, um, specifically to real estate. Yeah. So, um, Let's see. So, since with COVID 19 hitting
1: 2020, you know, businesses were focused to make drastic changes. And of course, real estate changed a lot. Um, You mentioned uh, investment or industrial property. And I think that's actually very interesting because one of the things with industrial property is warehouses and storage and stuff. And at least in Florida, we're just seeing that take off. It's been hot for a little while, but even with COVID, it's even hotter now because so many people are getting things delivered by Amazon or their food delivery and stuff. And this coal storage has taken off. Um, So talk about that market and some of the other markets that the funds you're working with are kind of seeing as hot uh, topic markets.
0: Yes. So, And that's such a good topic. It's really timely. I would challenge any of your listeners, if they're looking for real estate investments, there's clearly some asset classes that are Um, doing really well during COVID. And there's ones that like you start thinking about and you're like, ooh, they're gonna be challenged. Like I mentioned office properties. I'm not saying they're not, that's not gonna be a great investment. People still need to work somewhere. I think you're gonna be seeing office properties being repurposed. I think Mm -hmm. the same for large shopping centers. But as you look at you Know asset classes that are really performing and maybe even benefiting from this new world that we're living in. Um, Industrial is a great asset class, you've already nailed it on like Amazon. I mean, people are expecting they're doing a lot more online, which is crazy because the amount I was doing online pre COVID, um, I felt like was pretty maxed out. Um, and, and it's and it's more right, so there's less stores to go to, you know, you want to leave your house kind of less, it's risky. And um, Mm. so people are, people's expectations are they're going to order it, they're going to get it tomorrow. And in some cases in a couple hours, right? Mm. So it's what that means is these industrial centers need to get closer and closer to residential areas Mm. so that they can deliver faster. And so there's just been a lot um, of success in those and just, you know, I'm an investor in, in one uh, industrial vehicle and they're collecting 99% of their rents right now through COVID. And you yeah. think of, okay, wow. I mean, a lot of, you know, COVID first started, people started analyzing their businesses and and saying, okay, I have a lot of tenants throughout my portfolio, how am I going to collect rent when these small businesses and industrial, there's a lot of small, small businesses mm-hmm. that are feeding the Amazons of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are different suppliers and, and parts of products that you're getting. So you think about the, them and how are they going to make it? How do they pay their their rent? And am I gone? Is this portfolio really going to last? And it's the same. Right. Retailers have the same, you know. Um mm-hmm you know situation a lot of the gyms are still closed right how do they survive and so um industrial it's been it's been interesting to see a lot of the tenants actually they qualify for the PPP loan um right so they they had some help there there are managers and and owners that are doing you know rent deferral and helping people get through this tough time but even with with all of that because so much of their business is truly just you know Direct to consumer or online, mm-hmm. it is amazing to see the rent collections at ninety nine percent. I mean, yeah, that that's is, fantastic. And it's it's certainly you know you don't even underwrite ninety nine percent rent collection, um, and and businesses started doing some underwriting modeling when COVID started to say okay, where do we where's that delta like what do we anticipate to collect on rent and where do we start really triggering covenants where we're not gonna be able to pay our bank loan. Like that's Mm. where it gets a little scary. And to see these assets really performing is pretty exciting. So I've seen industrial being uh, specifically these um, like mid, small to mid bay industrial, light industrial. And for, for people listening, that's just, you know, when you, these are something you probably see a little closer to home. They're almost like little industrial business parks. Um, businesses um, are, are there, but maybe they have an industrial component in the back uh, where they store their product. So, you know, kind of light, light industrial, it's not you know full on manufacturing and huge mm-hmm. warehouses. If you think about it like that, um, they've got a little storefront. Um, so and that style of industrial I'm seeing performing really well. Um, one of the other things is single family homes. So there's a lot of single family rentals. There's funds that focus on Opportunity Zone um, for, for residential that are doing really well and single family rental I've seen also right now really doing well because and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons for it but i think you know there's some drivers that are really interesting with covid um you know people a lot of people are moving out of high density cities because they're they've been really it's isolating, right? A lot is closed down. There's nothing really to do because it's too crowded and congested. So they've, they're moving out and Mm -hmm. not everyone can afford a down payment for a home, um, as they move out to the suburbs. Right. And so to have rental options, there's groups that are putting these, they're buying up homes, either from builder builders or just from individual owners and putting, bundling them together in a fund and renting. They're just, these great single family homes that are, you know, you have outdoor space now where maybe you didn't before if you were in an apartment. So I think that asset class is really appealing because if you're either in a city or you're in an apartment, you have a lot less space and people right now, space is important. So you, when you get Mm -hmm. a home, you get a garage, right? Usually Um, you get a little outdoor space, usually more than you have in an apartment community. So you lose maybe some of the amenities, um, but you gain space. And I think during COVID, a lot of us are still working from home. I am, my husband is, Um, some companies uh, are obviously back, but not all of us are like essential, right? There's still a lot of us working from home. And when you think about, okay, I'm going to be working from home, my spouses, maybe my kids are, uh, renting a house seems like a better deal than being in an apartment.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: especially if you, you know, either don't want to or can't afford the down payment to buy, it's a great option right now. So, you know, investing in residential, is I think just a great play because people do have to live somewhere. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I do believe in, in the single family rental market right now too, which I've seen doing really well. Yeah.
1: No, um, we're, we're seeing that too in, in central Florida. And I think one thing that's interesting about with homes in general, I was reading an article in the Miami Herald where, you know, Miami was just getting a ton of people coming and buying the, the luxury single family homes down there. And, A lot of people coming from like California New York and moving like Goldman Sachs and businesses down there. And now it's starting to go into the condos. But the condos for a while down there were like really, really slow because of the reasons you mentioned. People wanted more space. And even with the design of homes now, you've really got to factor in more of um, the work at home office situation. And people Mm -hmm. want bigger garages because they might be working out. Uh, that's their gym as well as yeah. where they're parking their car. And so it's, it's interesting. My gym. <laughs> yeah. so it's interesting how the architecture is changing in that yeah. regard. So, um, well, let me ask this. You're in California. I'm in Florida. How are things in California right now with real estate different than uh, Florida? Because Florida has been more open. California has been more closed, but yet California also has a lot of ag areas and um, ranch areas and stuff. So it's kind of interesting to see what's happening in California.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I can't speak to all the markets in California. I'm in Southern California. I'm in Orange County, which is kind of nestled between um, L.A. County and San Diego County. And real estate here is doing really well. If I talk about residential as an example, um I can tell you like my neighborhood, cause everything starts really local. And I think that's always a good way to look at real estate is a local business. So um, my neighborhood on fire, I have had so many people kind of moving in and out of the neighborhood homes are not on the market long at all. I mean, I think the average is under 30 days on the market yeah. in my neighborhood. Um, it's a pretty sizable neighborhood and it's a higher price point for a lot of the homes and it has been not affected at all. Um, most of the the agents in like my area had their best year ever during COVID, which is uh, wow. That's just, interesting. It is interesting, and I know that's not everywhere, but um, but there's a lot of realtors in my actual neighborhood, so it's been interesting to kind of hear hear that and the demand. And so one of the reasons um, that was shared with me for our specific area is, you know, L.A. So we're just south mm-hmm. of L.A. L.A. You get a little bit less and you get a lot less space. So mm. to find uh, areas here where you can actually be in a neighborhood and have outdoor, like a yard and outdoor space is super mm. appealing. So people that were working in LA and still working from home, or it's like, well, I can be anywhere. I don't have to be in the office every day now. Um, and their companies have started changing their mindset on, okay, fine, we'll have we'll allow a bigger you know, percentage of the workforce to even after COVID to, to have a flexible work schedule. They're like, great, then I can live anywhere. I don't, I mean, if I have to come in every once in a while, fine. But I can live in Orange County. It's a little more affordable. I get a little more space. It's mm-hmm. kind of that suburbia versus, you know, city. And that's been a, a driving force for people moving here. So I just mm-hmm. think that's that's really interesting. So it really depends on that like sub-market because it is so local. But the trends, the trends from COVID have actually driven a lot of real estate deals, at least uh, residential real estate deals where I live.
1: In the funds that you're working with, um, what's their take on hospitality with hotels and stuff? Because hotels obviously took a beating in 2020. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I thought it would be kind of interesting there.
0: I mean, I don't have any clients in hospitality um, and not – not for, it's not strategic. I just, it's just not my main network. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, so I can't really, you know, I don't have a lot of input on that other than I think people are going to want to stay at nice hotels and stay at hotels again. It's going to happen. People will be traveling Mm -hmm. again. Um, And it's just going to be a matter of, can those places get through this time period? Because even for me, like I haven't haven't done much during COVID, but last summer I had a friend and I were like, we need to hit the road. Let's go on a road trip and just like go somewhere. And our whole idea was like, we're going to like a national park. And then we realized national parks were closed. Mm. Uh, So like, well, we just want to like do a road trip. So we went up the coast and we stayed at, Half Moon Bay, Ritz-Carlton, and we had Marriott points, so it's not as fancy as it sounds, um, but it was really interesting because, you know, this is like, gosh, one of the nicest hotels you can find, and all amenities were closed, and yeah. so you think about, yeah, look, we used Marriott points, but if I paid, now they they let us go and said, okay, you don't need to pay the resort Uh, amenity fee, because pool was closed, gym is closed, the spa is closed. uh, And it's interesting, like, you know, they don't take your luggage to your room. And you're like, seems like, okay,
1: well, yeah, I guess that makes sense.
0: Right. And so but it's and it's not a big deal. But you're like, it's not the same experience as going to a Ritz Carlton and paying, you know, full freight on that. Mm -hmm. So it does make you look at that experience a little bit differently. And What makes the experience worth it? Is it just the room? It's absolutely not. There's so much more to it. Like, we didn't have paper. You know, we went to go order some food. We went to go get a pad of paper and write something down. I'm like, there's no paper in the room. I realized there's no magazines, no paper. Um, Any high touch items were removed. From the room so that they don't wow. have to clean them right so and i'm sure other people listening to this are like yes barb like we travel we know I, that was my only experience and it was it was interesting because it was such a nice hotel so to see like the amenities really do make make a hotel like that i think they're going to have to start relooking at their business model and how do they you know how do they make that price point make sense for this expensive This this particular hotel is like on the coast in Half Moon Bay, Northern California. It's literally on the ocean. It is gorgeous, but so it's expensive real estate. But so they need expensive nightly rates, right? But it made me definitely start realizing, okay, like as a consumer, I pay for that because of all the ancillary things too, right? These just Mm it's about the experience. So I think, you know, those hospitality groups are gonna to start to, and the restaurants weren't open. Like it was It was interesting. But they're gonna to have to look at different revenue streams and how they make that make sense. But I don't have re- hospitality clients right now. Um, I do have um, a friend who has a restaurant right now and I can tell you that's a, it's a tough business. And yeah. they're constantly they're constantly changing their business strategy because the the rules keep changing. It's like oh, restaurant in in dining is closed. Oh, it's back open. And managing that when you have a lot of staff is really hard because you're either deciding do I furlough them, do I let them go? What is my my overhead strategy here? How long can I last?
1: Um, yeah. Right. Well, and what's interesting about with uh, restaurants, a lot of them have gone to more of the delivery service, which kind of pushes more storage for the light industrial storage facilities, things like that. And it's like some of, I heard some uh, like stories in Miami where the restaurant business was actually busy, but it was like for that light industrial area or like partially developed kitchens. And they don't really care about the restaurant per se, as far as people coming in, they're just wanting a cheap place to produce it because they're, they're delivering
0: They are called ghost kitchens. Yes. And they are really hot right now. And I think it's an interesting thing that most consumers don't know. So when you go to, you know, there's so many apps now, Grubhub, Uber Eats, whatever you use, um, there's so many apps to order delivery food. And a lot of times, you know, it's just interesting to see what's happening. There are smaller restaurants that, that can't, they just couldn't afford to stay open, but they can actually go to a bigger restaurant and use up space in their kitchen to produce. So mm. that's kind of an interesting play, right? That yeah. they can actually do, still stay in business. So you can find them on Uber Eats, but you cannot find their storefront, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the same is true for light industrial, which is a really interesting play right now. The fact that, okay, I have a restaurant and I want to be on Uber Eats and Grubhub, but like they're out of my territory. You can go get a light industrial space, not have to pay for all of your servers, right? Mm. It's, you pay a lot less in rent because it's not retail, it's industrial. Um, you don't have a sexy storefront and you don't have to pay for the, the same real estate footprint. You're just prepping food. There's a pull up for the Uber Eats, Grubhub, whatever delivery guy. They get the order, they take it to, you know, your house. So I think that's a really interesting play on the light industrial space right now. I see a lot of restaurants that are, you know, pivoting towards that as a strategy. It's, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I think it's great for industrial. It's just one more, like, great success story for industrial right now.
1: Right. And it makes it easier for that restaurant person to either get into the yeah. business or stay in the business because they're reducing those operating costs. So well, let me ask you this. You know, you talked about your work with um, the fund managers and stuff. How Can you kind of describe, I guess, in basic uh, what the fund manager does when you're putting a project together? Like, let's say you're going to put a single family home project together and you want to get investors. How do they go about deciding, okay, how much well, I can know how to, they decide how much we want to raise, but as far as coming up with the rate of return that they're going to promise investors and things like that, because it's a lot of detailed work.
0: Yes, it is. You need some smart people on your team. So, right. I mean, basically, you know, your acquisitions guys, as they go out and look at the investment opportunities, need to do some serious underwriting. Um, and they look at, okay, how much is this going to cost? Um, how long do we want to hold the property? how much money is it going to cost to put into this property to make it rentable right what is the what does the marketplace expect whether it's a home or an industrial unit What do they expect? What's market? What's your market rent going to be so that you can understand your cash flow? What are the expenses going to be to run that property? So if it's a house, right, there's like utilities and just kind of some basic maintenance things. Maybe there's some upfront capital expenditures that you have to kind of make that home um, move in ready, paint, carpet, just some basic kind of cleaning services. So, you know, really you have someone who's doing the under the modeling, the underwriting and saying, okay, here's your upfront capital expenditures. Here's your ongoing expenses. Um, And at the end of that investment, here's basically what that asset in the right environment, you should add some risk adjustments in there too, Mm. um, should produce as a return. And so then you say, does that return profile fall into our strategy? And if it doesn't, you do not buy that property. Right. Um, so, uh, so it starts there, right? right? So, and like, uh, most most bigger shops are going to have an investment committee that's going to poke a lot of holes through that and say, hey, you didn't, you forgot to add in that, you know, that property needs a new HVAC system, and you didn't, you didn't account for that, and that, yeah. that is going to alter the return. So. You start like poking. You have a team of smart people too. As you get bigger, that starts poking some holes through that as well. Um, and if so long as it meets your your profile, your return profile, it's in the market you said, the asset it said, the return profile, and then you kind of proceed down the path to buy that property. And that's your business plan. So whatever yeah. you said in your underwriting that was going to get you that return. You have your team, you, your team must stick to it. That is the business plan. So if it says you're going to have a renter in that property by month two, uh, you better have your leasing people all over that, right? So um, I think it's just kind of following you, you plan out for everything before you buy the property. And if that, if that kind of pencils out and you have some risk adjustment in there, then you proceed and you go forward, but you make sure that the things you said you were going to do, you've got your team lined up. And ready to go to make sure those things happen because even being a month, two months off on capital expenditures is going to cost you a lot, right? Because yep. now that's another month or two that you can't get a renter in, right? So you're not collecting that. Especially if it's a short term hold, a couple months up front, uh, you can never get back. So right. if you're. If you're only holding something for let's call it 3 years and you're 3 months off it's significant it's significant and if you go over on your expenses and you're 3 months off on rent collection you know you're you are missing that return that's so, why they're stressing out on those HGTV commercials like we
1: got to get this done we got to yes. get this hotel renovated let's go
0: yeah, that's the urgency, right? Otherwise, it's like, that's not what your investors signed up for. They didn't sign up for a 4% return. They can get that in the stock market, right? Um, so they they signed up for a 20 or whatever they signed up for. So in order to get that, you must follow that business plan, well, um, which I think is a really fun business because you start to learn and go, and it's just like anything, you start to learn and go, okay, we underwrote that this time. and was a big fail or we really had to hustle and couldn't catch up on something else. And you just, you get better and better and better at underwriting the more that you're doing it. So I think it's a, it's a fun process to kind of learn through that and, and just continue to improve.
1: Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about your, your business. You know, you started it, Ray, uh, advisory group in 2020, what made you decide to go out on your own and tell uh, me some of your success stories Yeah. That are your favorites?
0: Uh, you know, going out on my own was, you know, I, I didn't expect to do it, but it was a crazy year. And I'll, I'll tell you one of the benefits for it. And, you know, was my, my, I have two small children, they're six and nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were in kinder and second when COVID hit and, am um, you know, they, they needed a lot of help. And so I'm really grateful for taking a pause on, you know, this corporate job and actually being a mom and refocusing on my family and, you know, trying to help my kids get through this really challenging time because they were a hundred percent home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so were we working, trying to figure it all out. And so it gave me an opportunity to just kind of reevaluate my life and what is really important, and it's my family. and I love what I do, and I love my work. So how do i how do I translate that into something I have a lot more control over? What does that look like? And so I know I was great at what I did, and how do I go do that for other people? So, I decided I'm going to do what I did for other people and it's been it's been a really interesting journey because I get to work in different asset classes where I was really focused on one asset class before and so you know I knew everything about that but now it's like wow this is so much more fun I get to learn about single family rental asset class and like learn all the stats on that, who the players are. And, you know, for me, it's just been a great learning experience, which is something I'm just passionate about learning and growing and, you know, constantly challenging myself. So, um, it's been fun to go learn different things. I think, you know, as I look at how have I gotten clients, you know, during this weird time where it's even hard to meet in person, I, I've had a great network, um, that I've, taken really nice care of throughout the years and you know you and i met on linkedin and i'm i'm all over linkedin I, I love linkedin i have a lot of great contacts on linkedin and you know people see what you're up to and you're doing something different and you start ta- having more conversations and you know the clients that i have like 90% of them are people i ha- have worked with previously yeah. so there is a huge trust factor and so um, at some point in my career we have worked together and that's great so So that's a good start, right? And they're at this point where they need some help. And actually COVID gave me this door opener because it's like they don't want to hire a lot of people right now. It's this really weird time. They're they've got a little, some of them have a little extra time where they're like, we need to prep for what's next because it wasn't the best time to raise capital in 2020. And But it was a good time to evaluate, do we want to do that? And do we want to do that in a different way? And so it was actually a great time for me to start coming into some companies and and making some assistance there and and opening their eyes to that process, because it is a long process. And what has been unexpected and interesting for me is that so much of the work I'm doing has really ended up becoming... More of like a HR job, which isn't what I anticipated oh. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I'm not managing their HR, but um, a lot of it is okay. In order to do this, we need these people, right? How do we grow the business there? What does that person look like? And I help define that. And mm-hmm. you know, do you have the right people currently? To actually Mm -hmm. execute on that? Or what skills are they going to need if they're, you know, they're great, but they don't have this skill set that they're going to need for where the company is kind of headed? Do you like the person enough to invest in them? Let's get them some training. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, a lot of the work that I end up doing, because everything is people based, right? So it's just, we're all just humans trying to do a job. So it's really about getting those humans in the right seats and giving them the right tools and the right training and and the processes that go with them. So I, I end up spending a lot of time on the people side. You know, I'm helping recruit for new, for new talent. I'm helping kind of craft org charts. I'm like, okay, well, who are you gonna need? Like, let's say you have that many, you know, properties or. Or much money under management, what does your staff look like? Let's make sure for sure. if you're looking at the profitability of the company, now we're not talking about how is the asset performing anymore. The company, if you're looking at the profitability of the company, mm-hmm. um, but you need to still be able to execute, what people do you need to do that? They cost right. money. Let's make sure they're actually in the plan. Um, so if you think, hey, I'm going to raise $300 million, like, okay, but you understand your expenses are increasing, right? Um, right? You can't do that with your current team. You have to have more people. They're going to need more people to execute on that. So, you know, I'm coming in and helping and saying, okay, so you're going to need these people. Let's budget for them. Let's see what your company profitability looks like at the end of that. Is that exciting to you? Or are you like, oh wait, I'm at the same profit margin. It's not that exciting. I mean, that could actually be, you know, that's a really thoughtful process to go through. And a lot of cases it's like, yes, I do want to scale. I like that. I do want to scale. Now, how do I go get those people? Well, and what what are they going to do? Like, I don't know what that means. What what does that role do? And then I'm kind of going, okay, let let me go help you figure that out. Here's kind of, here's what that role does. Here's the kind of people that you should be talking to, and and I can help recruit if that is something that they need, and introduce them to candidates. And so yeah. it's just interesting how the the company and the role has evolved um, for me. Just uh, I do a lot of coaching with the the CEOs on. Who are they trying to be? What's their what's their end game here? Is it growing a business? Do they want to sell it to private equity? Do they you know want to give it to their companies in an ESOP? Do they just want to retire? And when they're done, the company's done. Um, So there's a lot of a lot of that. So I would say you know my business has evolved to be a lot you know almost it's it's coaching. Uh, It's a lot of coaching, which I feel kind of falls in this like HR side more so than what I thought my value proposition was was you know raising an institutional real estate fund. And how do you capital raise? So my, my value proposition of what I thought, um, has definitely evolved just based on the nature of the clients, which I think is probably true for most people. When they start out, they think they've got their secret sauce is one thing. And it turns out it's, it's something else. And that's been probably the most fun for me is just to kind of see like, Oh, okay. And the more I work with people, um, you know, the more they refer me to other people in their network. So I've started to get like, my network is growing where I'm helping enough people and connecting enough people that my network starts to grow in a way that's like, all right, now, now it expands a little because I've done good for someone Mm -hmm. and they talk about it. And then I do good for those people and they talk about it. So it's, that's been, that's been a really cool process and I'm doing it from my house. I mean, I go meet, I have a lot of local clients. They're not all local. So some are, you know, sitting in Denver or Florida, so they're not all here, but yeah. I do have a lot of local cause that's kind of, you know, my, my, initial network are people in the area. So I'll go meet people for coffee or lunch or if their office is open, we can go meet there, Mask up the whole thing. But my work, my actual work is being done in my house. And that's been really cool. So my husband's working from home too. And it's just been a real big, it's been a real big shift in I'm available for my family. My kids only go to school two and a half hours a day. And oh, really? So, wow. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's an efficient day. Well, I mean, I don't think so, but, uh, well, no, two and a half
1: hours though. It was like, I remember when I was in elementary school and high school, you know, it was like from eight o'clock to three.
0: Well, it's efficient, I guess, maybe for like, it it sounds great, but they're not done at 1030 when they come home. So they go to 1030. So they have, well, their homework, they have homework, but they also have the other half of the day, which they have to do on their own. Oh, um, and my kids okay. are little, so they're not doing it okay. by themselves. You know, it's like, I'm sitting there. Oh, that's right. I, don't I forgot they were six and nine. So yeah, they get the half a day from ki- kindergarten. Yeah. So I'm like, I mean... I'm like poking my uh, third grader right now. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing on your work? He's like, are you going to read the questions to me? I'm like, I am, I'm his assistant. Okay. So I'm like, gosh, this is taking a lot of time, but it's lovely to be home because I actually, after a pickup, can budget time in my day that I can be there, be present, and help one of the kids with some homework. My mom's living with us now. She's helping uh, my youngest with homework. It's really, it's been amazing. So we have a very full house here. uh, And she works from the house too. So it's, um, it is, Wi-Fi is, uh, it's a thing here. We have, no joke yeah. on bandwidth.
1: <laughs> well it was interesting when you mentioned with the, the companies because I think when some people think real estate, like even with a real estate lawyer, people were like, Oh, so you buy and sell property. I'm like, no, I'm not the I'm not the salesperson for it, even though I get the deal and I push it across the goal line. It's there's so many different facets of a real estate company. And One of the things you mentioned was all the finance. It's like if you're really oh, yeah. into real estate development, it's like if I t- if I would tell anybody if they want to get into real estate and stuff, I mean, they've got to understand real estate finance uh, It's so important to be able to see, Hey, does this project make sense and figure out your rates or return and stuff because that's what you've got to have to go get your investors. That's what mm-hmm. you have to get to decide. Do you want to make the purchase like you mentioned, yeah. but then you've got, to, okay, I've got to have my executive assistant because if you've got your company present, they don't have time to do, they need to be doing things that are making money your assistant needs to coordinate and people need to be reliable, but then you got your sales agents, leasing agents, lawyers, it's a whole team,
0: it is really is. And the lawyers are the most expensive. I mean, they all the money are. goes to the lawyers. That's why I'm on <laughs> Um, and it's it is actually crazy on how many lawyers you have on the fund side. So you've got them for the transaction, right, to mm-hmm. actually buy and sell the real estate. But then you know on the fund side, you need someone who's doing all the formation docs and making yep. sure you're adhering so that you know the SEC doesn't come a knock in. So mm-hmm. uh, that seems pretty important. So yeah, it's there's a lot of lawyer work in uh in the real estate side. Yeah,
1: even when I was in the firm, I mean that scenario you mentioned is. Is exactly right. We had our real estate team that we'd take the deal, you know, do the letter of intent, um, you know, we do the contract, help with the due diligence. If there's a land use zoning change, well, that's another set of lawyers that are doing that. But then, if you're going to do the the offering or the partnership agreement, well, that's the tax department doing that. I mean, it's so complicated. It's like you can't just have one lawyer yeah. doing everything. Don't so, forget your
0: employment lawyer because, especially well, now
1: during absolutely.
0: COVID. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's really easy to step into some hot water these days. Um, you know, it's especially for smaller companies when they say, like, you know, someone wants, oh, can I work from home because I've got this issue, or my kids, my kid has to quarantine, someone at school got COVID. Okay, yeah, yeah, uh, but then someone else asks and they have a different situation at home, and you say no, sorry, your role doesn't. I mean, you're you're setting yourself up for some real you know, discriminatory practices. So I, I think is. right now there's a lot of triggers with COVID. There's just so many new laws and rules around it um, that you want to stay out of the EEOC's uh, eyesight right now. And employment uh, lawyers are probably having one of their best year ever.
1: So. I, I would say so. Um, we have a whole HR department in you know, luckily I don't have to deal with any employment issues, but I mean, we get these updates about, well, these are our rules, but companies are having to look at that and it's not just the big companies. It's the small ones too. So the yeah. bottom line is nothing's ever easy.
0: <laughs> it sure isn't, No, <laughs> but it would be really boring if it was just, you know, easy, right. it would be boring.
1: Well, I, I could take some easy now and then, but it's more work for the lawyers. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on. We're talking real estate here. Um, we're going to transition in though to the fun part. You, wanted oh, to, you you talked about fun and exciting, which for us, real estate is fun and exciting. And I enjoyed learning more about the investment side because that's the side that people don't always see. The They, they see the HGTV of the Property Brothers going in and buying this house or Chip and Joanna Gaines. They find this for the client and they renovate and they see some of the the dirty work, but they don't understand the financial analysis and going to get investors for big deals that happen with hotels and office buildings. So it's, it's kind of good to go a little bit behind the curtain and have people uh, learn about that. I
0: thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. It's actually fun. I think it's a really interesting, you know, you start looking as you just go on a drive and see all these big buildings and realize like, they're not owned by the tenant usually right they're owned no. by a pension fund or something yep. um it's just interesting i i know before i was in that business i i didn't know or understand that and it does make you look at the world that you are in a little bit differently and go oh oh that's interesting like people are investing in those amazing, you know, big skyscrapers as an investment vehicle. And so that's, yeah, I think it's a really, it's just interesting. And a lot of people don't think about it, but yeah, that's a real estate play. Just, just like a fix and flip is right.
1: Exactly. So I know I do have some um, audience members who are in the real estate business. So if you have questions or needed advice in the right direction, you can definitely contact Barbara. Her website is www rayadvisorygroup.com and Ray is R-E-A. So it's R-E-A com. Now the show is called Living the Dream. We kind of been talking about living the dream in the real estate investment world, but we've got to get to our Living the Dream questions on pop culture, Okay. Which is extremely important because we can't work all the time, Barb. We can't. We can't. No. Well, some lawyers do, but they're losers. So <laughs> personality wise, anyway. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to ask you a series of pop culture and uh, lifestyle questions to see if you are truly living the dream. Okay, first, let's speak First question, <laughs> standard question here on the show, what's your favorite Seinfeld episode?
0: So... I like any of the episodes where we showed George Costanza at work. Um, He was such a ridiculous employee, like sleeping under his desk. I just, anything with him at work, I always like. Um, I will say the episode Serenity Now um, is one I love. And it's something I say way too much because my household makes me say it. So Serenity Now and Sanity Later. Yep.
1: Yeah, but of course, with George Costanza, the the greatest line I I like from him is, you know, or Jerry said, you know, George, if every instinct you have is wrong, the opposite would have to be right. (laughs) So, no, I love George Costanza. Uh Actually, George Costanza was based on Larry David.
0: Yes, I know that, which I mean after watching um his other show, curb it's curb your like, enthusiasm. Curb your enthusiasm. It's just of course it is. Like what what a crazy friend to have. Imagine that he's in your circle of friends.
1: Yeah. You know, All right. Like well good answer. All right. Next <laughs> question. Um, what's your favorite Chris Farley movie?
0: So I I feel like everyone is gonna say Tommy Boy, and yep. I am also going to because it's just
1: it's about hilarious. the only choice.
0: I mean, it's really yeah. Come on, it's Tommy Boy.
1: I know. It's t- t- Tommy. Bo- Tommy Boy turned 25 years old last year.
0: Oh hard my gosh,
1: that I is know. hard to believe. But no, I, I love Chris Farley. But the, as much as I love Tommy Boy, my favorite Chris Farley skit. Well, I have two. I have two. I guess when he did the um, the Chippendale skit. I knew you were going to say
0: that. Oh God, it's Patrick so
1: good. With Patrick Swayze. Okay. So <laughs> And of course, Matt Foley, the motivational speaker. Oh, I mean.
0: in I'm in. In a van so, down by the river. I am yeah, so, so thrilled
1: about First off, I have a colleague at work that he looks kind of like Chris Farley as Matt Foley, the motivational speaker. Love it. And he's funny and he likes to laugh. So that's good. So I, <laughs> I, I work on my routine with him. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> but then Rodney has a man cave at, at my house. I converted my garage of, because when I'm at work, you know, I set up an area for him. So he has a couch in there, has this like showroom floor, air conditioned garage. And so I put some photos up just to make it more of a man cave. I got a Chris Farley uh, living in a van down by the river painting. <laughs> it's like fantastic. I, I am so thrilled.
0: It's amazing. It's it amazing. Is.
1: <laughs> this is why I'm not a, a married guy, because no wife would allow that to happen. But. <laughs> I would just assume now it's
0: just part of the deal. It's grandfathered in. So exactly. Yeah. Right (laughs) next to the animal house
1: poster. (laughs) All right. Next question. What's your favorite Rodney Dangerfield movie?
0: So is Rodney Dangerfield is this back to school is Rodney Dangerfield, right? He does the triple Lindy. Lindy. Yeah. Okay. Then it's, then it's that. You get
1: extra points for mentioning the triple Lindy. Well, I was a
0: swimmer growing up and so, and I did, I, I was an awful diver, but like, I was dropped off at the pool for the entire, like the entire day. So I had, I had to kill a little time. So I also was on the diving team. So that came up a lot, triple Lindy. I was not talented on the diving board. So you know it's a darn
1: (laughs) shame. Now these pools, they don't allow diving boards. I mean, like growing up, it was standard. People had a diving board. Now the insurance companies kill it. I'm like, that's how
0: are you going to do a triple Lindy without a diving board? A high dive. Come on. I guess, I guess (laughs) you've
1: got to go to like the competitive pool. Yeah. Yeah, to do it. No, I love that movie. Oh man! And of course, my bulldog Rodney is named after Rodney Dangerfield.
0: Oh, I did not know that. Love yes. it. Yes.
1: <laughs> so, all right. Uh, next question: What's the better college movie? Animal House, Revenge of the Nerds, or Old School?
0: I think this is just because of my age. Like Old School is just more me, and I and I love, I love Will Ferrell. I love yeah. when he's streaking, he's streaking to the quad and his wife pulls <laughs> up and she's like, what are you doing? She's like, where well, he's like, we're all going and there's no, one doing it. everyone's doing it and no one's behind him. I use that example a lot when I'm talking to people about work, like make sure if you're a leader, make sure people are, are following you. Don't be like Will Ferrell, streak into the squad, the quad, and no one's there. <laughs>
1: The funniest thing, I mean, that was funny. Just the idea of just her driving up and, and her the, the headlights on Will Ferrell running was hilarious. Oh. But then when he had to get back into the Jeep, into the back seat, <laughs> <laughs> It's classic. That's a good one. It's classic. And then tonight I have tickets to go see Jeremy Piven to do stand-up comedy. And of cool. course he was the, the Dane in yes. old Yes, that's and,
0: cool.
1: And, and another that- thing with old school. I can associate with the Luke Wilson character. First off, we're both Wilsons. Second, in the movie, he was a real estate lawyer.
0: I don't think I remembered that.
1: Yes, he was. No. Because Artie Lang was like a colleague of his, and they were wanting yeah. to be in the party. And they were like okay. doing all this stuff at work. So he was a real estate lawyer.
0: Well, you're basically, you're basically twins or brothers. I know,
1: exactly. Just, yeah. <laughs> all right. On to another great comedian. What's your favorite Bill Murray movie?
0: Groundhog Day.
1: Oh, that's a good one.
0: It's good. There's actually uh, my. We just watched something. It was called like Palm Springs, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like if you like Groundhog Day, it, it's like a modern Groundhog Day. It was really was, good. It's done was really well. in that? No, sorry. Only ground. Only the original.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. All right. No, I love Groundhog Day. Sometimes I feel like my
0: life is Groundhog Day. That's what I'm saying. You should watch Palm Springs. It's the same. It's it's really similar, but modern day.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good answer. Boy, you're doing really well on these questions. Okay, good. Am I
0: living the dream? Is is this happening yet? I think so. Just after okay. five questions. Okay. All right.
1: Next question. What's your favorite Patrick Swayze movie?
0: Uh, dirty Dancing. Because I'm a I'm a girl who grew up in the '80s. All
1: right. <laughs> that that's typical for the women. Answer. It's always Dirty Dancing. I've gotten a couple of ghosts. And for the men on the show, it's always Roadhouse. Yeah. E- except I also like what. Probably my favorite Patrick Swayze movie is um, The Outsiders. That was like with him. Oh,
0: that's a good movie too. Yeah, but you know what? When I think Patrick Swayze, I'm thinking Dirty Dancing. Yeah,
1: most people most people are. Oh man, he was a great (laughs) actor. Because he was a guy. I mean, the women loved him. The guys liked him. So that's why he's on the Living the Dream. Question list. All right. So next question: Uh, What are your three favorite movies not starring Chris Farley? Rodney
0: Dangerfield, Bill Murray, or Patrick Swayze? I think it's a hilarious question that you've excluded them. Like there's no other movie choices possible, but if there were. What well, I would they? add John
1: Belushi to that list too for Animal House and the Blues Brothers.
0: Okay, so I'm a big Quentin Tarantino fan. Uh, so okay. I like uh, Kill Bill. Is a, mm. I think it's a great movie. I mean, also Pulp Fiction, which is probably more standard. But Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, mm. big fan. I love the movie Almost Famous. I think it's a great movie. And so these aren't comedies, so none of your guys are going to be in them. And yeah. um, major classic, the movie Clueless.
1: This oh, is just a
0: great, yeah. timeless movie. Still holds weight. So yep. yeah, Ali-
1: Alicia Silverstone.
0: <laughs> it was so good. <laughs>
1: I guess the, uh, the peak of her popularity, because of course she was in those Aerosmith videos too.
0: Yep. Yeah. Oh, it was. It's a very quotable movie. It's still good. I've like seen clips of it, like in the last couple of years. I'm like, it's still funny. As if. <laughs> As if. All right. No, uh, next question.
1: Yeah. Gosh, you're doing really well on these questions. Um, <laughs> next question. Uh, what's a better California-based TV show? Since you're out in California, L.A. Law. Beverly Hills 90210, The Beverly Hillbillies, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Melrose Place, or Other.
0: So when I was in high school, I was obsessed with the show Baywatch. and I was going to
1: put that on. I was going to put should, that because on.
0: It's definitely Baywatch. It, I think I, li- I moved to Southern California because Baywatch. So David
1: Hasselhoff.
0: Yeah, it just I had <laughs> dreams of being a lifeguard in Malibu. As and a jogging slow, potentially and, yeah and jogging
1: slowly with your hair flow yes
0: very slowly just working on <laughs> matan um oh yeah bay watch there, right there. there
1: well that's an extra <laughs> that's an extra point <laughs> gotta make a note of that all right next question um what are your three favorite uh musical performers
0: so, I mean, I love Led Zeppelin. I think they're great. Anything mm. with Chris, like Chris Cornell, has been in a couple amazing bands. And he's I, gotten some
1: answers on this.
0: Yep. Yeah, I love. He is. His voice is just truly amazing. Um, and yeah, I I love Pearl Jam. I think they're kind of like a great rock band that keeps producing great mu- music. So
1: yeah they're still around Eddie Vedder they're still um,
0: around and they're still, they still produce great music. So, you know, what's interesting. If you go back and think of all
1: the rock and stuff, I mean, people always talk about the eighties rock and stuff. And I, I love that too. Like with guns and roses and Death yeah. leopard and all that. But sometimes I don't think the nineties rock really gets its due because people I think, agree because people think Nirvana. And I mean, look that album, T- teen spirit, uh, was Smells Like Teen Spirit great album? I mean, right. I love No, wait, I'm sorry, that was never mine. The song was, um, yeah, Smells Like Teen Spirit. So, obviously, an epic song. Come as You Are, I love that. But, really, you know, I mean, Kurt Cobain passed away, so he didn't like he wasn't around for that long. But Pearl Jam was around for a long time. You had Stone Temple Pilots, you had, um, gosh, who is it? Um,
0: well, there was Alice in Chains, that's what right? I was trying to think of. Alice in yeah. Chains. I yeah. mean, they were
1: great. Uh, of course, you had Pearl Jam. A lot of those, uh, Chris Cornell's band with Soundgarden. and yeah. uh, Of course, Dave Grohl has since on gone on to do the Foo Fighters. So, yeah, really a lot, a lot of great bands in the nineties.
0: I agree. I agree. My husband's more of like a Van Halen guy, and definitely yeah. really likes the eighties and the big hair and all that. Oh, I, yeah. I, I like. I like the nineties, I, I yeah.
1: Well, you got to tell yeah, him a little bit. You should What's tell that? him to listen to the podcast we did uh, on a tribute
0: to Eddie Van Halen. I, I yes, I need he needs to listen That's, to that. I need that to listen of our to top it shows. too. Yeah, I mean, it's my. amazing with that band. When we were doing
1: the show and the research, it's like when they hit it off in 1977 with um, the Van Halen one album. It was like almost every year or every other year, big album after big album, epic song after epic song, and it was like, I mean, it was amazing that they. Uh, had that such of a long run. And then when uh, Sammy Hagar took over, that's when they started getting number one albums, even though they were a huge hit with David Lee Roth.
0: Yeah. I've been to so many Van Halen shows. I can't even tell you. I've seen every one of their, like, I just, uh, yes, I've been to every iteration of Van Halen, including the Gary Sharome era, which no one even remembers existed because it was so brief. But Yeah. uh, yeah, my husband, his brothers, they're all really big Van Halen fans. So so by default, I I am too. <laughs> all right. We didn't talk about the Gary Sharoma period on our show either. <laughs> yeah, no one uh, does.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think we did just briefly in passing. All right. Next question. What are your three uh, three favorite TV uh, series, past or present? I know Baywatch, I guess, will be one.
0: <laughs> I don't know if that was my favorite. It was just very influential when I was younger. On, like, it was influential. Right. How, oh, my God. Just I'm like, I'm going to go live the dream in California. Like, who needs a job? I'll be a lifeguard. But like more <laughs> more recently, I would say, you know, there's so many great shows on Netflix. So they've done just such a great job of doing these series. And there's a few that I've really loved, like Mad Men. Oh, yeah, um, when that came out, like my we we watched all of it. I really loved that show. I thought it was great. I have a marketing background. it felt it was just really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Sons of Anarchy. I actually named my youngest son jackson j a x s o n uh for Jack's Teller because i was when I was pregnant. I was watching Sons of Anarchy, and mm-hmm. I guess I thought he was pretty. Good looking. So, anyways, my son, I my husband's like he's not named after Jacks Teller. I'm like, well, but I don't know what you think he's named after, but you mean, I had a lot of Jacks Teller on my mind because it's what we were watching. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Billions. I love the show Billions. I think it's a great show. So those are probably my my favorite series. And I, I mean, obviously you started this with Seinfeld. Everyone loves Seinfeld. I just haven't watched that recently. But these these kind of more like you know, binge kind of shows are have been really fun.
1: You know, the thing with Seinfeld now is if I, when I go back and watch it, I mean, it's really been, gosh, I guess 30 years since it um, started. It's crazy. And it's like it was, Seinfeld would be so different now because now you have cell phones and, and the texting and stuff. So would Kramer be popping over to Jerry, I mean, Jerry's house, like he does now, like people now, they barely even know who their neighbors are. Yeah. 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 So. It's trying right, to be different. Good answers. All right. Uh, next question. Favorite restaurants. So Maybe <laughs> in, in, in
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't go out a lot. There's like, um, there is a local like Italian place called chow pasta. Shout out for Pasquale who owns chow pasta in San Juan Capistrano. Um, I love this place. I think they do a great job. Like their surfers are Italian. It's just really good. So um, I love it there. There's a Mexican place called Javier's that it's delicious. And it's mm. got a couple, it's just great locations. And um, I, but we don't go, I mean, where are we going? Grubhub is the third one. Yeah. Grub I mean, yeah. I mean, can I get it on Grubhub? Then, then there.
1: <laughs> exactly. All right. Next question: If you could have lunch in normal times with three people other than your immediate family, who would you pick?
0: Um, it Could be anyone an, living or dead. Okay, it's such an interesting question too because it's like, gosh, like, am I going to say someone really relevant and smart? I have no idea, but I would say that this does. I don't know. I'll start with my Nana, and she turned a hundred when she died, and I'd love. And she died three years ago. I'd love to go and actually have a really cool conversation about what her life was like. She mm-hmm. was born in 1917. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the things she saw and, you know, she wasn't coherent, you know, the last, I don't know, call it 12 ish years. And so I, and I never spent enough time with her to really understand her life and what that looked like. And I wish I knew her better. You know, it was, she was all about the family and us and the kids and what we were doing. And I wish I learned more about her and I think it's a great lesson for for everyone to you know for your elder parents or grandparents is to really learn more about them because a lot of times that they're focused on you so mm-hmm. I'd go back and do that uh, I'm not going to say a lot of famous people okay so then my my roommate in college I never see her she still lives in Philadelphia and um I never get to see her anymore I'd love to catch up with her and
1: you can just, send her a copy of this show Yeah, I will you.
0: I'll do that <laughs> And I just watched Bombshell, so I'm going to say Megan Kelly because I think that her character in that movie, I just have a lot of questions about how the courage that it took to stand up and keep going. And I just thought that was pretty inspiring. So That was a
1: really good movie.
0: I enjoyed that. It was that. really good. It was really good. Um, and yeah. the actresses were, wow. They were. Oh, really I thought so. On I
1: hadn't seen Margot Robbie in a movie, yet, and I thought she did an excellent job. Of course, yeah, Nicole, Nicole Kidman is always silent whenever she performs.
0: Yeah, so probably I know I should be saying someone like some female inspiring leader. Or, you know, well, you could say it,
1: you could say David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar <laughs> or Eddie Chris Cornell or something like that.
0: Oh, I'd love to! I'd love to have lunch with Chris Cornell. Can we make that happen? Can someone figure that out?
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, next question. We're coming to the end here shortly. Favorite sports teams.
0: So I'm from Philadelphia, you got to say the Eagles. So we actually I've got a group out here we do not not anymore, because we're, we're out of the running people. Uh, but we were doing um, it's my quarantine group, we mm. and several are from Philadelphia, because the one thing I've learned is y'all stick together. Mm. Um, so yeah, we watch the Eagles every Sunday. So yeah, Eagles, Eagles. That's it. Eagles.
1: Well, I tell yeah. you, they do have a big time national following. They have a big following of people down in In Florida, where I mean, I'm in central Florida, they have a big Eagles following. They have a big Eagles following down in like Miami and Fort
0: Lauderdale. So I guess those Philly people are loyal. So loyal. So loyal. Yes. Watch out. They get really aggressive. (laughs) I know.
1: All right. Um, Let's see. If you could play anyone to play you in a movie, who would you pick?
0: So I've heard uh, I resemble Jennifer Garner. So I would just have her because. we'd look alike. <laughs> Gosh, who's that's she, it. I, I forgot. Who she, she's dating some celebrity now. Uh, I have no idea, but she was married to Ben Affleck.
1: I know. I'm glad she's out of that. I met him before. I thought he was a jerk. <laughs> Maybe he's changed. I have All right, no idea. Um, next question. Favorite stand-up comedian? Chris Rock. Oh, that's a good one. Well, let me tell you. I've seen a lot of comedians in my life and I loved Rodney Dangerfield. And I guess, since I met him, I would say he was my favorite, but man, Chris Rock, I went to go see him. And you know, when you're going to see Chris Rock, you know, it's going to be filthy. And it was even filthier than I was prepared for, (laughs) but, but but he is so funny. He's so funny. And he can tell, he can tell jokes that some other people can't and he does, but like, man, he is just really, really funny. And I got to say, I mean, that show I went to it, I'd have to give it a tie with Rodney Dangerfield because he is so good. He's really good. He's really good. Yeah. So it was surprising he wasn't that uh, a bigger star on Saturday Night Live because he was funny, like with Nat X and some of his other things, but he became a much bigger star when he started doing the stand up.
0: I, I think that's true, though, for a lot of SNL folks. You know, mm. I don't know. There, there's a lot of alum out of SNL that, like, didn't get a, a you know, they had just maybe they had a great cast or they didn't get as much screen time. And then they went on to do some stuff where you're like, awesome. Like they really killed it on their own.
1: Well, Gene movies or or,
0: yeah. Movies, you know, stand up, whatever it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, of course, he was in that group with uh, Chris Farley and Adam Sandler and David Spade. And you still had yeah. Phil Hartman, Dan, uh, Dana yeah, Carvey. You had a little
0: competition on the show. Come on.
1: There's <laughs> only so much you can do on yeah, in an, an hour and a half All right. Final question on living the dream. Leno, Letterman, Fallon, Kimmel, Colbert, or other in the world of late night uh, comedy hosts.
0: What if it was someone who used to do a late night deal, but is really a radio star? Can I say Howard Stern?
1: Well, yeah, that would work
0: who's actually been on Letterman quite a few times um, and is really good friends with Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, the dog agrees with that too. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, at least it's at the end. Sorry. Yeah, no, no problem. We're, it's my we're dog, my dog Enzo. friendly show here. Yeah, it's a dog friendly show. That's that's Enzo, my dog making his yeah. debut.
1: All right. So Enzo agrees with Howard Stern. Yeah, well, that's He's the best. All right. Golly, you know, how long has Howard Stern had that show? I guess at least 30 years.
0: Yeah. I mean, in the 80s, since like, I think mid 80s. Yeah. Um,
1: Howard Stern has a bulldog, by the way, or he did have a bulldog.
0: And a lot. And his bed. wife is really into cats. They rescue a lot of cats. So
1: yeah. Howard <laughs> Stern. What a character right there. <laughs> well, has great interviews. He, he does. All right, so tallying up your score here, oh, gosh. I think you're going to be like one of the highest scorers
0: of all time. Come on, come on. Am I living the dream? Yeah, Give me my score. Do let's I get an see. A?
1: Well, <laughs> like I said, you're getting extra for the Triple Lindy reference in Rodney Dangerfield. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, you got extra for Baywatch. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, you are living the dream, Barbara Ray. Whew, close call, close call. I know exactly. It's a good thing you <laughs> came in with that answer of Howard Stern. If you had like
0: <laughs> Stephen Colbert, I probably would have deducted. Not. Yeah, no, it would. It would not. I mean, if I was picking from your the rest of them, it was not Colbert would have been last. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing I
1: don't, I like for my comedians to be funny, and one of the things that I'm hoping maybe we can get back to with more comedians is, it's funny and it's not like a news report. So. Yeah. But. Yeah. Anyway. He gets good ratings, so good for him, I guess. All right. (laughs) Well, anyway, I really enjoyed having you on the show. Um, Definitely an interesting discussion about the world of real estate development. Uh, The audience members know it is complicated, but it's something, too, that if you're in that field and you would like um, some consultation, you can definitely reach out to Barbara uh, at her website, and she can help you out. And, you know, look, if you're looking to do more real estate investment, one thing that Barbara mentioned, too, you got to have a good real estate um, or wealth advisor who can advise you on those things, help you out, because it's very complicated stuff. So, and most importantly, Barbara's answers on the living the dream questions were superb. So, <laughs> that's what we like to have on the show
0: people with I some personality. It. I love it. I love it. Well, Ben, thanks so much for having me on the show. I really appreciated it. And to anyone listening, happy to, you know, if you want to pick my brain on anything, please feel free to reach out.
1: Yeah. So we appreciate everyone listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed the episode with Barbara Ray and hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. See you then.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.